Well, again, we find ourselves in uh, week four of our series on the book of Acts, and we've been kind of going through the book from the beginning of the time, and we've been talking specifically about how the Holy Spirit is often this disruptive and unexpected force, and we've been leading up to that a little bit. And last week, we talked a little bit about recognizing, about stopping and listening. And I told the story last week was Mother's Day about how, at least in my household, moms heard everything and saw everything. You know, they're aware all the time. And and it was an invitation for us to be aware of the Holy Spirit. And I bring it up where we were last week because where we find ourselves in the Scripture this week is just so relevant to what had just happened. Because if you remember, uh, Peter and John had found their way into the temple, and as they're going into the temple for this afternoon prayer, which is something that they did on a a regular basis, uh, day in, day out, and they had gone into the temple through one of the gates that had become known as the Beautiful Gate. And there, aside the Beautiful Gate, was someone who had been crippled for at least most of his life. I mean, he'd been doing it for years and years, showing up next to this Beautiful Gate in hopes that people who entered in for prayer time would give alms each week. And, and it's just a normal activity. It's like when we drive down to Kailua and we see some of our regular friends who are down on the street, that's the sort of mentality as you drive past, the, the normal people that you see that are asking for help, asking for money. But something different happened that day, that they paid attention in a unique way and the Holy Spirit moved in a miraculous way, that they paid attention and they stopped and they talked to this beggar And then God did this amazing thing and healed this man. And and everyone knew this man because he'd been sitting by the side of the temple, you know, day in, day out for years and years. And and the story just kind of makes us see he's a regular figure in town. But something happened that day. And then now everyone knew about it. And so we have been talking about the power of God and, you know, emboldening us to be the body of Christ in the world, and we wonder how is it that we can do that. And we see with the disciples, with at least Peter and John, it began with presence. But then today in our scripture, we see that power take on a new level. We see the power take on a new level because here they were standing amidst all the powers that be in their world in Jerusalem. And they're questioned and asked. But before I go there, I want to stop for a minute because if you remember a few weeks ago, the first Sunday we gathered, or if you remember from your time learning about Scripture, learning about Luke-Acts, you'll know that Luke and Acts are written together by the same author, probably Luke, who we understand, and they wrote him to be chapter one of the story, and that story focused on Jesus, the gift of God with us. And then chapter two, the second part of that novel, is on the Holy Spirit at work in the church. The Holy Spirit at work in the church. And and the reason I say that is because oftentimes how people would have read, read this is together, right? you know, part one, part two, you know, you don't know what happens at the end of Harry Potter if you, you know, just stop reading after one of the novels themselves. You keep going to see what's going to happen, and like any good novel, you keep reading it kind of quickly, hopefully, right? Hopefully you don't have to wait for the new release to come out. And so I say that because just think five weeks ago in the life of our church, what were we talking about, and what was the scripture 
that we were reading. Because if you hearken back just five weeks ago as to what was happening, the same exact thing took place. Jesus came into town with the palms and the Palm Sunday and the accolades and the celebration, and then he goes immediately into the temple. And then what does he do? He turns over some tables, and he starts causing a ruckus, and he gathers some followers. And the last time that we know of all of the priests and the scribes, the Sadducees and the Pharisees that had gathered around, what happened? A man was killed that day. This was no lighthearted gathering of teachers and professors in the temple area. This was the powers that be. This was the elite of the elite. It was the captain of the temple guard. It was the high priest and its entire family. It was Caiaphas, Ananias. It was the people that put Jesus on the cross, or at least were complicit with Pilate and getting him to do it. And if you remember, if you think to ourselves, how could we, how could we embody God's love, right? How do, how do we build, you know, take the baton and run with it? Well, think just for a minute the last time this had happened, five weeks ago. Think specifically of the last time it happened with the character of the story, Peter. And what did he do in his first go-around in the same situation? In the same situation five weeks ago, he was so struck by fear of what was happening and all the leaders that had gathered that when asked if he knew this man Jesus, what did he say? No. And asked again, no. And then asked again, surely I have nothing to do with this man. And then the cock crows, and he remembers. And that's not something you forget real quickly, right? You don't forget your teacher dying and being raised from the dead and finding yourself in that exact same moment. I, I don't know if you have been in a car accident or had some sort of traumatic experience, especially physical pain experience, but I, I know that uh, that every time I drive downtown with my wife and we go down uh, towards Ala Moana Boulevard, she kind of gets on edge for a moment because she was involved in a car accident a number of years ago where a car like pulled out of there and she T-boned it because you know, she was just driving and didn't see. And she was thankfully safe, but it was the first time her airbags had, had coming off when she was in the car, and, and it was just a traumatic experience for her. And, and she doesn't forget it when she's driving. I know similar for me, I've had injuries in my life. Whenever I get like even a bump on the spot that I was injured, it kind of brings that whole memory flooding back. And, and all of a sudden when I thought, you know, I was like going at it, I'm playing soccer again, just the way I thought my knee tweaks or, you know, I get hit in the face or something. And you like all of a sudden get scared and you get edgy and you just don't, you clam up a little bit. And I can't help but think that this is, this is what's going on a little bit underneath the hood here, is that all of a sudden, John and Peter did this amazing thing, and then all of a sudden, all the same people that were there are gathered together again. 
And they start focusing a lot on the name, don't they? By whose name are you doing? How are you able to do this? And what gives John and Peter the strength? It says they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and filled with the Holy Spirit in response to this. They say, we are doing this in the name of Jesus. That somehow, someway, put in the same circumstance where he had denied them before three different times, nothing to do with it, they were able to proclaim the name of Jesus had done these miracles. The thing about it, there's power in a name, yeah? But the power always isn't good power, is it? But here the the disciples claim a power in the name of Jesus, and they did a miraculous thing by the power of the Holy Spirit. But I think that I sometimes get weary of people that wield the name of Jesus. They say, in the name of Jesus, these things have happened. Because we've done all kinds of, well, not too great things in the church in the name of Jesus, haven't we? It's been things like the Crusades, women not being able to speak in our churches, being pastors, there's been slavery. There's been different things that are done in the name of Jesus. But I think that what's undergirding this story is important here, and that it's important to know who are the people that are questioning and who are the people that are proclaiming this name. Because here, What's the issue? Is the, the chief priests are scared. They don't, they don't want this sort of ragtag group of people following this guy named Jesus to kind of start growing. And 3,000 people had been converted, and 5,000 people had been converted into following Jesus. But it's not about going out and proclaiming the name and to tell people what they should believe necessarily. In this story, you have the people who are in power upset at these uneducated and ordinary people who had done something amazing in the name of Jesus. They had brought this outsider, literally the outsider, the one who would sit outside the gate, in. He was healed. He was not able to stand. And if that wasn't enough, in Jewish culture of the time, if you had an ailment, if you were physically crippled, it also had a component of, how, like, of your ability to enter into the temple. That as such, he was unable to be fully part of the community. And so this outsider now jumps with joy at being healed physically and communally able to come in to the community. And if you remember, a few weeks ago, we talked about how the power of the Holy Spirit does all sorts of mysterious and miraculous things, I believe at least. But one of the components that we can know about the power of the Holy Spirit is how does it bring us in to the body of Christ? Because that's the function. 
And so when we see people wielding the name of Jesus and saying that Jesus thinks this or Jesus thinks that or you should go out and follow Jesus, all of that is fine within the context of bringing people in. And like we sang in the song, not just, you know, bringing them in to be like us, but bringing them in, believing that God has made them whole and beautiful and bringing them in to find a seat, a voice, a place at the table. The outsider coming in. And if we want to see this at work or against this at work, I mean, I don't know where you're at with the news, but I've been devastated yet again by another mass shooting in our country. And what's kind of stood out to me as I was preparing for this sermon and reading more about this tragic event was the manifesto that had been written. And the manifesto that this young adult had, had written and talking about the, the whites in this country being replaced and this idea that, you know, we're under threat and that, you know, we have to, you know, protect what was ours. And I'm not trying to get like political or anything, but what I'm trying to see is the power that we carry and what we're doing with that power. Because what I see there moves against the grain of what God calls us to in the power of Jesus. By holding some power of fear of losing control, of losing authority, so we're gonna go out to a black community in, in Buffalo, New York, and, and take the lives of people. White supremacy and all of its forms moves against the grains of what God calls the church to be. And we don't know how racially motivated it is, but it certainly seems in his manifesto that there's something at work there. And so as I'm hearing that, I can't help but see this, this tragic event and the, the power of trying to worry about the replacement and, and then see the high priests right? The same fear of loss of control, of loss of power at work. Worried about what they're going to do, how they're going to respond. The power of the Holy Spirit at work in John and Peter enabled them to bring this crippled man in to find the wholeness of community. That's the salvation that God offers. It's not uniformity or conformity. It's not wielding or making the, the world the place that we ought to think it looks like. It's diverse. It's a place where all people have a seat at the table. So we look at this scene unfolding in the Bible and it doesn't make sense to us. But you can see it unfolding in the news. And we have to be weary of that sort of power. And if it's overwhelming to think about, just remember that transition that had taken place in Peter. 
See, this is the thing, the power of Peter's story is not that he goes out and wields a power in itself. He embodies it in this story. Because what other testimony is stronger to those around them than the transformation of the five weeks ago and then now? That somehow he had gone from fear to denying Jesus to strength in proclaiming the good news amidst the same powers that be. That's our call. It's not to proclaim some power over them, but to embody that transformation in our lives, to allow the Holy Spirit to change us, to give us strength where we were weak, to stand up and to speak the truth, the truth where the outside comes in and those on the margin have a voice, those that feel like they didn't have a place in the church have a seat at the table. So how do we embody that transformation? And we can do that in the simple way of paying attention and talking to someone that we otherwise would pass by. By looking at your clerk, checking you out, the grocery store, looking them in the eyes and thanking them by name, by standing up for justice and knowing that God has given us the power to break all the chains and powers that be. Not through force, though, but through witness at the work that God has done in our lives. And that through the power of God's transformation in us, we can stand before whomever and proclaim what can be done in the name of Jesus by holding firm to our belief that God, maker of all the universe, went <laughs> to be with us not as a chief priest for all these nobles that showed up, but as a peasant craftsman. And there gathered a group not of elite, A-list, varsity team members, fishermen, uneducated, ordinary men, Men that will, and women that will deny him when it, when it matters most. Seem to mistake Jesus' words at every corner. And yet God works miracles in them and through them. So you might have doubts or insecurities or uncertainties or weaknesses or flaws or whatever. But the Holy Spirit can be at work in you, helping the outside come in, helping the lonely, 
the depressed, the marginalized, the oppressed find a seat at the table.